Hey everybody, Michael Lejeune here with Game Changers for Government Contractors. I've got Eric Poppy on here with me today from Cherry Beckert. Eric, why don't you hop on and tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do over there. Thanks, Mike, and thanks for having me today. My name is Eric Poppy. I'm a managing director with Cherry Beckert based out of the Washington area. Cherry Beckert overall, we're a full-service accounting firm based all over the country, actually. But my team specifically, we help government contractors just really navigate working with the federal government, really more post-award. So you win that contract, now you got to deal with all the fun terms, conditions that come with doing that work of indirect rates, incurred cost emissions, having different system setups and reporting. And we help companies just hopefully avoid having gray hair when working with the federal government. <laughs> Our team is made up of former DCA auditors, contracting officers, CPAs that really just specialize in, again, trying to help contractors out big and small. Awesome. Well, and, you know, as always on this show, I always talk about how people need specialists that understand government contracting. And so if you're talking to your regular accounting firm, they're probably going to have the deer in the headlights look when you start talking DCAA and all kind of other different issues when it comes to government contracting. Maybe not, but a lot of times, you know, they kind of look a little cross-eyed at it. So that's why I really feel it's so important to have specialists that understand the market, understand the challenges that government contractors are going through in order to work with you, not just, again, having your accounting firm off the street or an attorney or whatever. It's one of the main reasons we're talking. And I've loved working with you guys at conferences and other places where you can talk that language with people and help them out. Today, we're going to be talking about some business systems. And I know that's a really broad topic, but I know there's a lot of specific business systems that folks need in order to not only be compliant, but be good at being a government contractor. You know, when it gets into their accounting side of things, when it gets into their pricing side of things, you know, there's so many aspects that I think as a normal business owner, we kind of gloss over when you start looking at the numbers and what we need in place to make sure, again, we're compliant and we can do the job really, really well. Why don't you kind of introduce us into what business systems that you're talking about when you talk business systems? Happy to. When it comes to working with the federal government, a lot of it comes down to cost. When I know you have the different contract types, you do have fixed price, you do have commercial price lists, but as you grow in the federal contracting space, a lot of the items come down to cost, and the government also wants to make sure that costs are fair and reasonable, there's adequate controls, and that there's proper management and reporting when you are really getting into more robust and complex contract vehicles and contract types. So when I talk business, business systems. There are six business systems, and I'm going to go through them. Accounting, purchasing, estimating, earned value management system, MMAS, and property. Of those six business systems, you know, there are certain times that you see those criteria become relevant to your company as you grow. If you are a full major contractor, you know, think the Boeing's, Lockheed's, all these business systems apply and the criteria with it. But as you're growing as an emerging small business or now you're in full and open, only maybe a few of them apply. But when we talk about business systems, we talk about not just the software that you're using potentially, but the people, process, procedures, controls, and that software when managing the system. So when we talk business systems, those are the ones that we're referencing. And there's a DFARS clause that implements that, but it's also referenced in the FAR and also some of the other agency supplements also reference these business systems. 
the main ones that we typically help clients out with and have a lot of discussions around, especially if you're smaller, is the accounting system followed by usually purchasing and estimating. We usually see EVMS and MMAS. And MMAS, by the way, is Material Management and Accounting System. I've realized I forgot to say that acronym out. And they're usually a little bit on the larger end for size of contractors. And property, the property system is really more if your contract has you managing government property. And mm. that could be contractor provided or government furnished, but a system around managing that. Gotcha. Now, can you talk a little bit about the software? I know on the software, in, there's a lot of options, but given the fact that there's like these six main areas here, do you have recommendations either by size or when somebody's starting out or something like that so that people can go, oh, well, I could do all of that in X software, or I'm going to need to buy these three, or do you see some popular trends in there that maybe you could share with folks? Yeah, I'm happy to. There are a lot of different software products out there that say we are government approved or DCA approved, or we'll give you a compliant proposal. I will first say, take all of that with a grain of salt because the government does not give a rubber stamp approval to any software product or solution from an accounting system standpoint. I've seen Dell Tech, Cost Point's the main one, you, you know, Uninet's another one. I've seen those systems disapproved before from mm. the government, which are packaged as government compliant reporting packages, which a lot of them are and a lot of companies are, but you know, again, it comes down to the people and processes there as well. And we see sometimes like pro price are being used for proposal support. A lot of times EV and MMAS, you know, there are products that Dell Tech puts out and other software companies put out too, but none of those again are approved gold standard from the government because the people, the controls, the data coming in and the procedures, the written procedures are all a major aspect of these systems along with management's control environment. So the CEOs, C-suites, culture of ethics and compliance and oversight and how you monitor those items, these systems as all being part of the quote unquote business system. That kind of leads me to a point that we could pull the string on a little bit like the accounting system. Because that's a lot of companies that are just getting started, really, you need to have a compliant accounting system to be able to handle flexibly priced or cost plus work. And usually if you're growing, those rules trickle down into fixed price and TNM as well. But we have companies that are on QuickBooks that have a compliant and approved accounting system, but they have a culture set up of doing daily time entry, have good systems of checklists for like billing and good chart of accounts set up good written policies and procedures. And then on the flip side, you might have someone on a system like Uninet or Dell Tech that maybe have not the best timekeeping practices culturally, and that system's then disapproved. It really can depend on the people and the cultural aspects of the company too. It really can depend, which I know a ton of people don't like to hear it depends, but each company is unique and you have to make sure you find the solution for your organization to meet these different criteria. I think that's important how you pointed that out, that there's no rubber stamp on this. It boils down to what policies, procedures do you have in place? Oh, and by the way, are you actually using those things? Are you using it? Yep. <laughs> it's one thing to have it all in a nice little binder on a shelf, but if you're not using it, you're not going to be compliant. That's going to be a, a big challenge for folks. I'm glad you mentioned all six of those because I think for a lot of people in government, or at least new to government, they understand one of those. And that is the accounting. Hey, we have to have an accounting system. 
system. They don't think about the systems for all the other things. And they don't necessarily think about how all those things connect and share data. And so that's a challenge for them as well. How do we do this? You know, given that some of that stuff is now in the cloud, some of it isn't. How do we make all of these things work together? Which I assume you guys can help with that portion of it as well when they're trying to make the data talk and they can't it's not happening did you know we have our own government contracting community it's called federal access and inside federal access you have all the tools tips strategies documents templates everything you're ever going to need to be a government contractor but you also get brought into our ecosystem you get into our private linkedin group and you get into our live events and all that kind of thing when you become a member of federal access to learn more go to federal-access.com forward slash game changers now let's get back into this episode yeah, very much so. And you're right. It's all interrelated. I'll just use estimating system as an example. With that, you're pulling to put together a proposal and respond to a solicitation. You're pulling in actuals probably from your accounting system to then be able to price out in the future. You might have subcontracts or material costs that you're accumulating and putting together and lumping up for that proposal. How did you select those vendors or subcontractors for that proposal? And that's where your purchasing system's coming in. You know, if you are doing follow-on pricing and this is a long lead time proposal and it's maybe a large manufacturing project, you might be pulling in some scheduling components from past history with your EV or earned value system. So a lot of these things and a lot of the earned value, like in MMAS, that's also underlying accounting data. That's feeding into this stuff. They're all interconnected. You know, for a small business that's growing, usually that accounting system's number one and really be able to handle and accumulate costs in a manner that can handle cost plus contracts. Mm. Create indirect rates, create invoices, do the follow-on pricing with that, monitor the cost to a cost element level. So like direct labor, material, consultants, travel and such, be in compliance with GAP. But what feeds that is timekeeping. And usually timekeeping is such a big cultural hurdle if you're not in professional mm -hmm. services or you're just getting into the GovCon space, you have to really have a good timekeeping system that can feed and get to a level of detail you need for accounting. But then that flows over to estimates that you might use in your estimating system. So it's all interrelated there. Accounting and then purchasing and estimating are probably the, the three that that you kind of tackle or what we see a lot of companies tackling and getting requirements for as they start to grow. In your opinion, what's the biggest culture shock out of those or the hardest one to adapt? Is it the timekeeping aspect? Which one is the one where when you're trying to implement, you're like, gosh, we can't get the people to use the thing like they're supposed to. A lot of times it really is timekeeping. If the company wants to get into government contracting because it is so consistent and you don't have as much of the market volatility with working with the federal government and long contracts too. So companies are always like, this would be really cool to get into. But then they go after one and they're an organization that might be very lean and very flexible. You know, we see it a lot of times with like tech companies, for example. So now you go into an environment where you're trying to put together a bid and you win a contract and you're telling everyone who's not used to submitting timesheets or has never been asked to submit timesheets to go every day, enter their time and submit it on a weekly basis and add this extra thing that takes, you know, if you're not doing it as the day goes on, could take five minutes, could take 10 minutes, could right. take a half hour. 
Usually it's timekeeping, I think, from a cultural standpoint. We always try to give advice on make the regs work for you versus changing everything to work for the regs. You can bake in some of these reporting requirements, some of these system requirements into what you currently have. So you don't necessarily have to go out and buy a software package or a bolt-on. You can usually make a lot of the stuff work to hit these different criteria for the business systems. But sometimes you do have to kind of rip the Band-Aid off and say, sorry, y'all, you got to do timekeeping or need to get evidence of approval for vendor selection. That's another one or you might need to add another checklist or step in the mm. process somewhere. I remember some of the government contractors I worked for early on in my career and some of them had paper timesheets that you turned in mm -hmm. every day and some of them had the digital timesheets, which I found the digital ones to be the ones that, hey, timesheets are due to be turned in every two weeks and it was like at 4.30 on a Friday where you're yep. like, what did I do last Monday? What did I do last Tuesday? And people were putting it in like that. It was such a different culture going from paper to the systems and they had different systems and you'd turn your timesheet in and be like, why did you do so many hours on this time code? That's the wrong time code. There was always back and forth in a system where we did government contracting all the time. That's what we did. So even in a culture that was used to the government contracting, it was difficult to get employees to turn in their time properly and use the right codes. And it was a very interesting thing. That's why I figured timesheets might be an interesting one, especially for a company that started off commercially and then made the progression into government contracting. Here's the question that I think a lot of CEOs, small business owners, executives have when they're looking at this stuff. There's a lot of time. There's a lot of investment in cash in these systems. How is it worth it? How do does having these systems make me more competitive in the landscape? That's a great question. So one, we are starting to see a lot more system requirements included in solicitations as part of the scoring criteria for proposal response. So if you have an adequate system, you get X amount of points. Sometimes we are seeing a variety of different wording in RFPs that state like it needs to be government approved. It could be approved by a third party. It could be just on third party letterhead. It needs to be an audit by third party. You can self-assess. So a lot of different flavors of RFP requirements with the same underlying, does your company meet these system criteria? And usually again, it's counting, purchasing and estimating to start. We always try to tell companies is, yes, it might be painful to put the investment in, to change the culture, to add these processes, processes to meet the accounting system criteria or estimating. However, what it really does, it helps springboard you to potentially be able to grow very quickly and already have those processes in place. These criteria are going to come at you at some point if you continue to grow. If you bite the bullet now or at least start to put the framework for some of the current systems in place when you are a small emerging contractor or you're just getting, that could really help you springboard the growth when those requirements do come calling and you already have the checklist processes, procedures, systems already in place where you don't have to worry about that when you're trying to implement maybe a five-year, $50 million award where you're bringing on all these FTEs and now have to do all do timekeeping and you know all these different aspects, all that's done. And the other part to it too is it actually could give you more insight into how you're actually doing from a financial perspective or where you can find efficiencies in vendor selection or are you more profitable? What's your real margin on these projects? Because you get a lower level of detail granular.
granularity. In the end, the government is putting these criteria in place because they want to make sure the taxpayer is not taking on undue burden and they're getting a fair and reasonable price. So yes, it is more hoops to jump through, but it can be used as a strategic advantage to get more granular insight into the actual underlying data. Again, going back to my first point though, it's also now becoming some of the scoring criteria and proposals to separate out companies and weed people out. Yeah. You brought up a good question there. Do you have a recommendation? And I, I know part of the recommendation is as early as possible, but <laughs> given size-wise or time in the market, is there a time where you should really start looking at this? Maybe even better question is where, hey, you're not ready for this because you know, you're know you only a half a million dollars or whatever it is. Kind of give the listeners who are tuning in today kind of a, an idea of when they should start implementing this stuff. And maybe if, hey, you know, if you're under $10 million, maybe you just need the accounting system for now or something along those lines. What kind of criteria can you give us? That's another great question. It can depend, but I would say not necessarily the size, but more of what service are you providing to the government? Is it a widget or are you giving labor? And then what type of work are you actually performing and contracts are you doing? So for example, if you are just delivering some type of product that's all on a fixed price nature to the government and it's all commercially available, we have companies that do that type of work for the federal government that are 40, 50 million, you know, and they're larger, there are organizations that have been in business for a while that are still on a very simple accounting system. They're on QuickBooks or they're on Sage or there's something where they don't have to do hardcore reporting requirements mm -hmm. because of the nature of the work. It's commercial in nature, it's fixed price. Now, if you are a $5 million small business, 5 million annual revenue small business, but you're doing a lot of very technical cost type work, you'll probably need those system requirements for the accounting system. So it can depend. I always suggest to clients and prospects that companies we talk to kind of look at your future state, current state and future state and figure out as part of our strategic plan, where do we see ourselves in five years? You know, we really want to double down in the government space within DOD. We don't want to potentially not bid at on cost plus work because of we want to be able to be go after everything. So yeah, it'd probably be a wise choice to really set up your accounting system to be compliant in these other systems too. So it can depend a little bit on what your service is and product that you're providing. But at the same time, if you get large enough, these systems will come calling really no matter what. I would start accounting, purchasing, and estimating. Purchasing and estimating kind of be interchanged on which one you go through first. Do you see the ability to kind of on-ramp these one at a time, or do you see the need to go, hey, we're going to go all six at once? I assume there's cases where both of those would apply, but do the majority of people kind of start with the accounting system, get that in place, then they add the next one, then they add the next layer and, and so on over a period of time? Is that kind of what you normally see? Usually it's accounting system first. Estimating is usually it's more of a layered approach where you hit one than the other. We have had situations where for proposal responses, purchasing and estimating kind of happen at the same time and a purchasing and estimating system manual need to be created and then they need to go live and you're kind of planning for the mm -hmm. future. Yeah. But usually it is layered accounting and then purchasing and estimating. Government property is always just kind of out there if you have contracts that you have to manage property, but then usually the EVMS and MMAS. But yeah. typically it's a small, that's the roadmap that we would suggest. And I guess my last question is, as you're looking at the roadmap, give us a time frame. And I know the bigger you are, the more contracts, the more data you have, the longer it's going to take, obviously. But for an average implementation of a new accounting system and some of this other stuff, is it a two, three week, two, three month? What's a good time frame for people to be thinking to implement something like that? 
Now, one thing would be if you are changing software and migrating and trying to add a new ERP, that's a bigger engagement because it's data in, data out. You're doing mapping. You're having financial reporting considerations along with the cost accounting and project reporting aspects that you need for federal government. If you're trying to set up policies, procedures, change a culture, I would say for an accounting system, usually that's a few month type project. It can really depend. If you're doing a full implementation of a new ERP, there you're creating sandboxes. That could be a six month, that could be a year type project. Usually, though, accounting system is a little bit shorter. And the government also is looking at, is your system capable in the beginning mm. to be compliant? If it's not in fully operational, what are you going to be to do to be fully operational? And that's actually a pre-award accounting system survey. Now, if you win mm. that contract and you are deemed capable, there will be a post-award where you actually have to prove it, that you're doing it. There is an aspect of capability. You know, when we do those assessments and setups, usually that's like two to three months. For estimating and purchasing, usually it's a little bit longer. Again, a few months to write a manual, get items in place. But then if the government comes and conducts those audits, you want all of your ducks in a row. You kind of draw a line in the sand of like, all right, going forward, all of our purchases meet these criteria. All of our cost estimates and proposals meet these criteria. If the government comes calling, then you tell them that you implemented a compliant system. Now you're actually accumulating everything and you're working towards a good sample size and have that open dialogue with the government that you're working in that direction. For like a, a CPSR, they're looking usually at a full year of data that they're trying to sample from. And estimating is usually the same thing too. So it can depend. EVMS and MMAS, those are usually larger organizations. At every large organization, usually okay. things take a little bit longer. That's good because I think a lot of people believe that this stuff is, well, it's just an accounting system. It's just mapping some data points. It's just writing a manual. They don't realize to me how slow the company can make the process. So there's out of the box, hey, if everything went just right, you answered every one of our questions perfectly, we could maybe have this done in six to eight weeks. But it's not a perfect world. You're not going to answer everything perfectly. It's probably going to take six months, given the size of your company and the complexity of your projects and yeah. history and all that kind of stuff. I think well, it's just good to hear that from somebody other than me. <laughs> <laughs> and again, kind of going back to a point I made earlier, if you have other work that's not working with the federal government, you got to consider the people and the culture aspect too. So even if you wave the magic wand and say everyone do timekeeping now or everyone get this approval now or unallowable costs, now you have to worry about segregating out a beer from a receipt that you had after you won an award for your company like or awards that you might give out at the picnic or something. Right. Like Now you got to identify all those things and you have to consider the cultural impact. So usually it's not, hey, everyone do it now. It does take a little bit longer. If you're thinking about the culture, it can be a little bit of a process. And the government has a unique set of requirements. So going back to your point earlier in the very beginning about accountants and CPA firms knowing government contracting, I think of a lot of times, you know, there are requirements of identifying like small business revenue, 8A revenue from general revenue. Knowing these rules, knowing that for tax implications that you might have to monitor certain thresholds for like net book value or assets for different small business or monitoring indirect rates for revenue revenue recognition, mm -hmm. there's a lot of components here that all is intertwined. It yeah. takes more time is my point. I think of it as like, it's looking at like a bowl of spaghetti, right? It's all interconnected mm -hmm. and weaving in and out and how it does it. Did we miss anything today on the system side of things? Is there any final points you want to make? I think that the last point is kind of reiterating what we talked earlier. It can be a little bit painful setting up your systems, but overall it will help give you more insight into the actual costs, make you more competitive, help you with scoring on proposals. It is a worthwhile exercise. And again, typically companies don't have to change everything to meet these criteria, but at some point these requirements will come calling. So just kind of keeping that in mind, I think is probably the biggest thing.
Good deal, man. I really appreciate you coming on and talking on this. I know it's been a, quite a bit of time in the works to get you on here with my travel and moving and everything, but it's been worthwhile. And, you know, we often are at the same conferences. I highly recommend if you are at a conference and you see their booth, go check them out. James is usually at the booth there. It's a great conversation to have. I know accounting is not necessarily the conversation people want to have all the time, <laughs> but it's so necessary to know your numbers and to have all this stuff in place. Like you said, it will give you a lot of personal insight into your business if you have this stuff set up. So thank you again for coming on and talking about this. I really appreciate it, Eric. Thank you for having me. I really hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, I would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast and screenshot it and tag me on LinkedIn or whatever social media you use. So thank you again for joining us today and we'll see you next time.